Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute Podcast. All right. Assalamu alaikum. <clears throat> Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you. Alhamdulillah. Okay, we're going to listen, inshallah, to a little bit, and then we'll talk about what we can take from it, bidnillah. Let me get the audio. Let me turn the audio on real quick. It's always good to start with Quran. My words mean nothing. Really, though. Can outside people hear? Outside? Yeah? No? Outside? Can you hear me outside? No, there's no one there. Oh, there goes Musa. Assalamualaikum. Where's the charger? Uh, there's one in the office. Let Sunday Khala can let you in the office, inshallah. Oh, <laughs> 
today inshallah By the way, ayah number 17, I don't know if you guys counted, but I think I took like seven breaths in the time that he recited that one ayah, and he did it in one breath. I remember when I used to go read <coughs> Quran to uh, some of the Quran teachers that I would read to uh, in Egypt, and uh, they would recite while climbing stairs. So they would do the Stairmaster and recite, right? But it was a manual Stairmaster. It wasn't you know, the nice ones that we have, just to improve their, uh, their capacity of their lungs. 
Okay, bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. So we are, um, we are now coming across a point in the story of Yusuf alayhi salam um, where he is experiencing yet again uh, another test, maybe the first major test, but no doubt up until this point, the, the, the environment that he's been in, the, uh, you know, his brother's uh, targeting him and picking on him and, and kind of identifying him as being the, the object of their father's love, uh, no doubt it brought a lot of difficulty into the life of uh, little Yusuf, alayhi salam. And so he has been experiencing maybe a tough environment, but now he's being pushed to a great test and, and the first of many that he's going to encounter. And we talked about before how the brothers were trying to convince their father in their plan to let Yusuf come with them. And despite the fact that Yaqub was not confident, he didn't feel good about it, he let them take Yusuf and they went out on their journey that day um, because they had basically just kind of almost emotionally blackmailed their father, right? Like we use the term gaslighting a lot. They were absolutely you know, professional at gaslighting their dad and letting him feel very guilty for not wanting to send their brother uh, out with them. But immediately when they went with Yusuf, the Quran tells us by the virtue of the way that the ayat are structured, that they wasted no time. You know, sometimes when somebody has like a, a plot or a plan, you know, you watch a movie and, and, and they, they act normal for the first part of the interaction, and then that's when they call their backup people or whatever. That's when they pull the, the plug on something. They don't just jump right into it. But these young boys or young men were so just absolutely, and I use this word very intentionally, they were so intoxicated by their own desire to win the, the love of their father and really the attention of their father that they could not make sound judgment, right? Because the reality is, they didn't even think about necessarily how they were going to explain to their father that Yusuf was gone. They just they were doing this plan step by step. And some of the mufassirin, the, the people who unpack the Quran, they actually point out a lesson here. They say that if you read the verses, you notice that they haven't, they're, they're not master planners. They haven't thought this all out. It's so bad that they had to actually borrow one of their dad's ideas in their, in their explanation. What was their dad's idea? He's going to be eaten by a wolf. They were like, yeah, yeah, he's going to be eaten by a wolf. You know, like, no, he won't. But then they come back. They're like, oh, you won't believe what happened. Like, you called it. I guess you are a prophet. You know, like one of those very, very just poorly thought out executions. One of the scholars of, of Tafsir, I forget if it was, uh, uh, I forget Ibn Ashur, I forget which one I was reading, but he said something really amazing. He said, lying never stops with one lie. When a person lies, it never stops with one. It always requires more lies in order to cover up the first lie. You see, the power of the truth is that it does not need any support. The power of the truth is that it becomes manifest, either in this life or if a person does not have all the circumstances for their truth to be determined in this life, then Allah on the Day of Judgment, there is no doubt that they will get their haq and their truth on, on that day. But lies are so weak and so feeble that when a person lies, they instantly have to start thinking about what their next lie is going to be. 
and they almost, it's like playing chess. They have to start thinking about what move the next person will make. It's like creating a flow chart. Well, if they ask this, then here are my next two sets of lies. But if they ask this, then I can go this direction. Okay, a lot of us are nodding, which means that we're liars. Okay, <laughs> You're, no, I'm joking. But you understand the whole point, uh, or are you? Uh, you understand the point. The point is that when you lie, even in like the most like petty of circumstances, right? Did you leave? Yeah, I left. Are you on your way? Yeah. Right? Even in the most petty of circumstances, those lies, they require more of a backup. Oh, you didn't? Oh, you left? Okay. Well, I was going to ask you that if you didn't leave, could you get tissues? Oh, you know what? Actually, there's a CVS right here that I'm driving by. You just manipulate it, and then you just go to your closet and grab whatever is needed. Why? Because the lies require more lies. And this is part of why they are cursed. This is why they are sinful. Because no society, no relationship, no family can be built on communication without trust and integrity. I don't care how close you think you are to somebody. The moment that a lie is told, the moment that a lie is told, Everything now is up for question. Everything. And that's part of the... Ibn Atta'illah, he says this in his hikam. He says one of the dangers of sinning is that it makes the person think that everything you did before could have also been suspect. So if I lie about something, and that, in and, and all earnestness, that was my first lie, when the person uncovers that it was a lie, naturally, as part of their human disposition, they're going to have no choice but to backtrack now and to think and to have those doubts. And guess who loves to play on those moments? Shaitan. Shaitan loves to play on those moments. So don't give Shaitan or anyone, don't give anyone the opportunity to unravel your entire reputation, your entire life. Truth that manifests an apology and remorse is better than lies that save you from accountability. Because there will come a time in this life or the next when that lie will become, will fall into shambles. And you will have to stand there and you will have to explain why not only the mistake was made, but why you lied in the second place to cover it up. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. So they go out and they engage in this behavior and they toss their brother into the bottom of a well. And you can imagine, right, this deep depth of darkness, subhanAllah, the bottom of a well, it's not... You know, uh, uh, it's not a hopeful place to be. And at that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends him this uh, uh, wahi, this moment of inspiration. It could be a different form of wahi, right? Maybe it wasn't through an angel. The scholars are sort of differing about how it happened. But nonetheless, prophets can be inspired through their hearts. They can be inspired by hearing wahi or they can be inspired by experiencing it through the agency of an angel. There's many different forms. Nonetheless, Allah Ta'ala sent him this message. What was the message? The message was, You are going to tell them. You're going to inform them. Those brothers, you're going to let them know about this whole situation. When? And they are going to be totally unaware that it was you that was in the well as you were telling them this. Allah Ta'ala gives Yusuf salam three things. And I want everyone else to take three things. Don't raise your hand because we haven't eaten yet and I can't handle it. How many of you have been wronged in your life? Don't raise your hand. We haven't eaten yet. After I have coffee, then we can sit and talk, inshallah, okay? You've been wronged. It's a default. People have wronged you. 
And you know what's even worse? People have wronged you and they haven't gotten caught. They got away with it. Or so it seems. Someone has said something or done something and while you were standing there waiting for justice to fall, waiting for something to happen, it didn't happen. And those moments test the daylights out of us. They make us question everything. They can make us question our circle of friends if nobody stood up for us. They can make us question our own family if the person doing it is from within our our kith and kin. It can make us question our own family. It can even, subhanAllah, may Allah protect us, make us question our belief in Allah. That why? Why would Allah allow this to happen? But I will tell you, this is why connecting the Quran is so important. Number one is that you read the stories and the very prophets that Allah is sending are not people that had their lives very easy. Imagine if all of the people who were prophets were like Elon Musk, right? In their like net worth and in their ability and all. Imagine. And then all of a sudden that prophet came to you and told you, yeah, be a good person. You're like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, bro. You have everything. You have unlimited capital. You have unlimited wealth, luxury, comfort, yada, yada, all this. But for me, I have to get up and go to work. I have to get up and do this. I have to stay up late and I have to figure all these things out. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets. Many of them we know. Many of them, most of them we don't know. Right? The hadith says 144,000, each of them with a message that were sent in the history of time. And even that number may not be literal. It may actually be even more than that, subhanAllah. And these prophets had real life issues that they went through. They went through this. So imagine now for a person that was not picked on, not bullied, but this is abuse. Imagine someone who was abused by their own family. It, it happens. In the Muslim community, it happens. Imagine somebody who was abused by their family, whether it was their direct family, their in-laws, or extended family. And imagine now them reading the surah. What's the natural connection now? You and Sayyidina Yusuf salam now have a relationship. And I always tell people this. Whenever anyone goes through something, I say, man, subhanAllah, imagine your conversation on the Day of Judgment in Jannah with Prophet Yusuf Imagine what you guys are going to talk about. You're going to go and say, yeah, I was actually bullied by my brothers too, or my siblings too. And he's going to say, did they throw you in the well? You're going to say, not quite. <laughs> but, you know, they, they didn't let me play video games ever. They always hogged it. And you know, what are video games? And then you have a whole other tangent to go down with Sayyidina Yusuf right? But the point being is that the connection is there. Allah Ta'ala sends him this news. Number one, the scholars say, to give him a sense of comfort, to let him know that this is not the end. You're not going to die here. Number two to let him know, this is a beautiful reflection from some of the Mufassirin, that you are going to be reunited with your father again. You're going to get out. And you and your father are going to be reunited once more. And then number three, it's interesting. Allah tells Yusuf salam, that you are going to inform them, which puts Yusuf at what position? Higher or lower in his power? He'll be higher than them. He's going to be a person that's going to inform them and they'll have no idea. So Allah is telling him. When is he telling him this? He's telling him this at his lowest. Literally, he is under the earth. He's telling him this at his most loneliest. No one around him. And he's telling him this maybe at the weakest point. Between this and the prison, you know, it's, it's a toss-up. When was his weakest point? SubhanAllah. And Allah gives him the news of when everything will be reversed. Not only will you not be low, you will be exalted. You'll be one of the ministers. 
you're going to save all of Egypt. Not only are you going to be lonely, you'll be reunited with your family. You'll see your father's face smiling again. And not only will you be in a position of, uh, 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 you won't be in a dark place, but you will have all the answers. You will be the one that's telling everyone what's going on. Ask yourself this question. Is this not working? Okay. It's okay. You just look like the Grim Reaper walking towards me. Not the Abaya. Oh, my God. That was not an Abaya joke. All right. Sundas is anything but the Grim Reaper. She's the very happy Reaper, mashallah. Okay. Um, think about this. You guys ready? When you are at a moment in your life that you feel there is absolutely nowhere else to go, this is rock bottom. Allah sent Yusuf these lessons, these signs, also to tell who? The Prophet Because what's the Prophet going through right now as he's being receiving this? What's he going through right now? The year of sadness. Powerless, lonely, in a confused place, unsure, not confused as far as his mission, confused as far as what does the future look like? Yusuf's story is mirroring the story of the Prophet Muhammad And as our messenger, you will have moments in your life where you will feel powerless, you will feel confused, and you will feel lonely. And at that moment, you need to tap back in to what Yusuf felt. That Allah will always be there for you. Sometimes Allah puts you in dark places so that you can understand that the light is coming. Sometimes He puts you in these places, subhanAllah. Because if you were never in these places, if you never experienced difficulty, how would you ever be grateful for providence? If you never experienced toughness and challenges, how would you ever be grateful for felicity and ease? There's an entire book, inshallah, I'm translating it, make dua that we get it published this summer, on the virtues of trial and, 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 and benefits of calamity. And the author writes this and says, one of the reasons why Allah does this to people is so that when they come out the other side, which they will, inshallah, they have a deep appreciation for Allah at the end of it. But if life is always easy, if life is always smooth sailing, then how can we ever appreciate the gifts that Allah Ta'ala has given us? Okay? The other thing, and the last thing I'll say about this verse before we move forward, is that Allah Ta'ala tells him this, but he doesn't tell him when. And this is something that all of us kind of maybe have done, right? Have, have any of you ever in like a really dark spot in your life ever said like, well, I know that inshallah, maybe not soon, but eventually it'll get better. And then if you don't know when, you're like, well, inshallah, I'll go to Jannah. You just kind of have that like happy, morbid thought, right? You're like, well, if I don't get it in this life, I'll be in paradise. There is something so softening to the heart that is ailing about knowing that not when, but that there is relief. That there is relief. You might be on a road trip and you're, you still have seven hours left or something and you're still in Texas somehow, right? It's such a big state, subhanAllah. It's unnaturally big, right? And you're driving, and you're like, how long do we have left? And it's like, oh, no, no longer seven. How long? 6.52, okay. And you just have to keep reminding yourself at that moment that that's actually a moment where you don't want to be present. You know, everyone talks about be present. Sometimes you don't want to be present. Sometimes you want to be in the future. And being in the future is what makes your present easier. <laughs> Thinking about what eventually will happen, what eventually will come. So this is what... Ayah 15 tells us. And now Ayah 16. وَجَاءُوا أَبَاهُمْ عِشَاءً يَبْكُونَ They came back to their father 
and they were all crying. They were all shedding tears. Why were they shedding tears? Why? Huh? Yeah, so there's two opinions on this. And, and I found the second one to be incredible. And number one is the most majority opinion according to the Mufassirin. That They said this was part of their act. This was their act. They were lying to their father. And in order to lie, they needed to cry. Right? You guys ever got pulled over? Officer, I'm so sorry. Right? I really tried it the other day. It didn't work. My knee surgery. Um, you, people get emotional when they know that what's, what they're up against. And subhanAllah... This is all of these signs, the, 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 the strategic lying, the plotting, the crying, the emotion, all of it is a sign that this is a very, very deep-seated problem that these brothers had. It's a very deep-seated problem. They come back to their father and they're crying in part because they want him to believe their story. Okay? Our mistakes and our sins can manipulate our hearts in such a way that we start to demonstrate tendencies that are so distant from virtue that we might look in the mirror and not recognize ourselves. There's a, a, a very, you know, there's a, 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 a famous story about the picture of Dorian Gray. You guys ever read this book before? Okay, I'm an English teacher, so just humor me for a second, okay? I got my degree in English education. The picture of Dorian Gray, it's a small, short novel and it's written about a man who basically falls in love with all this, uh, you know, uh, wealth and good looks and partying and all that. And every time he goes and looks at this, like, mystical mirror that he has, it's, as the story goes on, it starts to show him more ugly versions of himself. And what the story starts to tell you as you read it is that you notice that this man as he becomes more beautiful and he sells his soul for eternal beauty and power and wealth, his inner, his character starts to melt away and he starts to become horrific and treat people horribly. So the mirror actually starts to reflect who he is on the inside, right? When we drift far from Allah in our lives, when we start to do things like small sins, that's why the Quran says, khutuwat shaytan Allah doesn't say that shaitan has huge leaps. Shaitan makes you take tiny baby steps, Right? First, it's you hear the adhan, and you're like, I'll pray later. Then it's, okay, how much time do I have left for prayer? Then it's, oh my God, I missed it, right? First, it's, I'm going to go, but I won't do what they're doing. I'm going to go with my friends, but I'm not going to do what they're doing, right? I'll be their designated driver. And then it's, okay, you know, there are some drinks that have a little bit less. Or it's, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to smoke. And then it's, okay, maybe one right? Puff or one hit or one joint or whatever. These are all these khutuwat al-shaytan. And then eventually before you know it, who knows? One week, two weeks, 52 weeks later, you actually, to the person a year ago, are unrecognizable. You look at yourself and you're like, whoa. Now, I'm not going to be the doom and gloom guy here because the opposite is also true. If a person takes steps towards Allah, and here's the cool part, the Hadith Qudsi tells us that the khutuwat of shaitan are one for one. You take one step with shaitan, it only counts as one step. That's why it takes a long time. You take one step towards Allah and he comes to you with a million steps. You take one step, slowly Allah comes to you with haste. And so the, the opposite is true. You will come to one dars, one halaqa, one talk, one prayer, one iftar, you will stay and pray longer than you did yesterday. Just that once. 
and then a week later, two weeks later, a month later, six months later, a year later, you look in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself, but it's a very good lack of recognition. You're like, I used to be somebody that struggled with this or that did this or that never thought that I would ever dress or do or any of this and look at Allah's mercy upon me. May Allah give us that. So these young men go back to their father weeping and they are putting on this show. The other interpretation that I read, which I thought was powerful, and again, there's no contradiction, it's beautiful either way, is that they started to feel the guilt of their sin. And this is the truth of the matter, y'all, is that sin is not free. When we sin, it is not something that is free. The Prophet ﷺ said, that when the son or daughter of Adam commits a mistake, then upon their heart appears what? Nuqtatun sauda, a small blemish, a small blemish. Like you just got your car washed and all of a sudden this really horrible bird follows you and it just had lunch, right? And on that beautiful, pristine windshield, now comes down a mixture that is ungodly, right? And you now cannot see. And you have two choices, right? You either ignore it and let it dry and calcify and become disgusting, or you try to clean it up. And just like sins, the faster you clean it, the less of a mark it leaves. That's why Allah Ta'ala commanded the angel on the left shoulder not to write the sin of any of us for an extended period of time. The hadith is four hours. For an extended period of time. So that why? So that even in our book of deeds, if we repent before that time, that window of time ends, there's not even the mark of an eraser in our book. Allah doesn't want even, Allah does not even want us to show up on the day of judgment with like any marks, even if it's erased by our tawbah. Okay? So they go and they start crying to their father as a result of the weight. They start to feel the weight of their sin, but they know they're too far in. And this is one of the damages of sin, is that sometimes it's too much. Like you can't go back. To, to people. You can always go back to Allah. But to people, it's like, man, this, this plan is way too complex. It's way too complicated. We cannot eject now. This is it. So they go back to their father and they tell their father, Ya Abana, that, oh, our father, Inna dhahabna nastabiqu wa tarakna Yusufa. That we raced and we left Yusuf. What? Indamata'ina. With our belongings. Which is also, by the way, I've always felt an interesting part of the story. They were supposed to take him out to play, and what did they make him do? Hey, we're going to play you? Watch our stuff. How many of you are triggered? How many youngest siblings do we have in here right now? Triggered by that, right? We played. We were racing. Even in their lie. You know, this is all false. They're making this up. They could say, Dad, we were all on this amazing game that we were playing together, and Yusuf was having a blast, and we were having so much fun, and all of a sudden, this wolf came and... Like, they could have... This is a lie. They could have made up their... But even in their wildest lie, they still couldn't treat him like a brother. Even in their fantasy that they're creating. And we left him with our belongings. The diseases of the heart are immutable. Even in a lie, they still exist. SubhanAllah. We can't even lie ourselves out of it. Okay? And the wolf came and ate him. And you will never believe us. They instantly go on the offensive. They instantly start to attack. 
their dad. We know that you're not going to believe us. Why? Because the guilt is overflowing now. It's coming out of the cup. You can't even stop it now. The guilt is overflowing. It's like a chai pot that you left on for too long. We have a lot of stories at Sohbah about that. Okay. And what did they bring as proof? They brought his shirt. And Allah calls the blood. They, they put false blood on the shirt. Blood of like something else. They killed an animal and put that blood. To signify that this was the blood of Yusuf. They called it lying blood. Lying blood. As if the artifact itself was proof against their story. And this is the power of Allah. I will leave you with this. Many of us wonder if our wrongs will ever be righted. Well, we wonder that. We've been wronged. Will Allah ever give me my justice, my right? I have two answers. Number one is, the answer is yes. But when, we don't know. If it's here, alhamdulillah. If it's on the day of judgment, alhamdulillah. But one thing that I will tell you is that you do not have to feel the burden yourself of defending and proving and establishing and fighting this case, whatever it is, if you trust that Allah is on your side, you do not need to go and uncover every rock and stone to argue for your case. You establish your proof, and then you say, Tawakkaltu ala Allah. What else can I do? You cannot convince an unconvinced heart. You cannot turn the heart over. That's Allah's job. If the Prophet could not convince people of his message with all of his miracles and all of his evidences, then what makes you think that in life you're going to be able to convince anybody of anything? We do our part. We do our part. And we say, you know what? I am at peace knowing that what I've told you, that what I'm saying to you is the truth. And I hope that you can trust me. And I hope that you can believe me. And Allah will place barakah in your trust. It's almost as if to say, subhanAllah, that the more that you try to make the truth appear, Allah will not let the truth appear in that mode until you trust Him, and then the truth will start to appear. He's waiting for you to trust Him, and then all of a sudden now the truth will start coming like a waterfall. Their father says back to them, قَالَ بَلْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ This has been a Something that happened inside of you. This was an evil plan that you took, Amran. Fasabrun Jamil. Their father told them that this is something that you guys schemed. This is on you. I don't know what's happening here, but I don't know. I know that this is not the case. Fasabrun Jamil. But I'm going to bear with this patiently and beautifully. Beautiful patience is a patience that relies on Allah more than anybody else. That's what beautiful patience is. And Allah is the only one that I seek with help over the things that you are claiming right now. This ayah needs to be, I don't know what the word is, tattooing is haram, but it needs to be written in stone on every person for every moment of your life. You're not going to be able to win every battle. <laughs> Yaqub is standing there unable to solve his own problem of his son that was abducted and left for dead. He's a prophet of God. What does he do in that moment? He doesn't go out there and say, I'm going to call my friends, my neighbors, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go look for him. He says, I don't know what's going on, but all I know is that I have Allah. That's all I know. And I'm going to be patient beautifully. Ugly patience is when you're being patient, but you're letting everyone know that you're being patient. 
I'm being so patient with you right now. Not really, right? Like, if you have to declare it, that's not really patience. Fasabrun jamil is when the tears are silent. Fasabrun jamil is when the tears are silent and only for Allah. Wallahu musta'an. And I will only complain to Allah about what you say. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this trust in Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us this immutable, unshakable trust in Him. We ask Allah that when, whenever we are wronged, that we put our burden to Him, not on ourselves. We ask Allah Ta'ala that whenever we are wronged, that we trust that the truth will become manifest through His generosity and His grace. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to allow us to be people that are beautifully patient. That when we are inflicted with something, when we are afflicted with something, that we stand there beautifully, not complaining against Allah, but only complaining to Allah. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to accept from us all of our fasting and prayer. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us all of our charity, all of our good deeds. Every second that we sit in gatherings of your remembrance, O oh Allah, we ask you to bless us and to forgive us of our mistakes and shortcomings. And we ask you to make us people that our hearts inclined towards righteousness, that we don't have to push ourselves any longer. We don't have to battle internally to make the right decision. But, oh Allah, we ask you to make righteousness flow from our hearts, taqwa flow from our hearts, just like water flows from the glass, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask you to accept our fast, Ya Allah. In these final moments of our fast, oh Allah, all of us have our deep du'as, our deep needs, Ya Allah, that we are seeking for. Some of us are very lonely. Some of us are hurting, Ya Allah. Some of us are confused. Some of us don't know the way forward. Oh Allah, in this moment of our breaking of our fast, when your Prophet Muhammad Wasallam promises that the breaking of the fast is a moment of answered dua, oh Allah, we ask you to grant answers and relief and solace and ease and comfort to all of our hearts that are here tonight, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask you, O Allah, to accept from us. We ask you, O Allah, to bless our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and his family until the end of time. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.